For scripture reading today, we're going to turn to the 32nd Psalm. Blessed are the forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up, and by the heat of summer I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bridle and a bit, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Will you be gracious to join me in the last verse and say it with me? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Shall you join me in prayer? Holy Father and righteous God, we pause and reflect on you this morning in submission to thy presence and thy blessing. Thank you, Lord, for the instructions of the psalmist David and what he went through and how you blessed him. Thank you for the forgiveness you gave him that you also give to us. Thank you for the anointed power of your word that your spirit dwells within to keep and guide us as we turn to you. We ask your blessings upon the word this morning as you anoint Pastor Steve to share with us that which you've given him, that it may inspire our heart and quicken our spirit to know that you are God and we trust you. We depend upon you. Now lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for your glory and our gratitude and thanks we give all to you in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. That was awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. Pulling out my best Mr. Rogers today. Got my sweater on. I like it. Um, how about that snow? I love snow. I, I just love the way it falls. I love coming in this morning and just watching that purity. The, we are white as snow. Just the imagery in my head. Uh, so it's good. Hey, we're going to continue to truck through our series in Psalms. We're in Psalm 32 today. We're going to be expanding on that. Uh, one of the things that I like to do every week uh, is uh, I like to filter through the news and see what's happening in, in the world, around the country. I don't know why. I really I'm just I don't care that much. But I like to be informed. My filter, obviously I believe Christ is in control. Everything filters through his hands. But I like to be informed, and so I go to to five and six different websites and try to get news from both angles because I just try to formulate what's happening. I don't think there's accuracy if you just look at one 
particular side of things. Uh, and what I increasingly just consistently see in general is, is that we tend to make things uh, more sensational than they really are. We like to build a really good headline that's full of lots of drama. And, and, and the reality is, is I don't blame the media to some extent because in some ways they're just giving us what we want. We as, as a culture have just valued uh, sort of a good headline. Uh, we just, we love a good scandal. We love anything that has the word gate on the back end of it. Spygate, deflate gate, whatever. By the way, Patriots. Uh, no, okay, good. Nobody cheered for the Patriots. Uh, there is just something that we're drawn towards scandal, and we're willing to pay really good money to get all the information that happens around uh, the things that happen around those events. And have you noticed that anytime we give a big scandal or there's some conspiracy, always, there's always after the events happen, this event that happens, there's, there's a publisher or an editor that will pay millions of dollars to acquire the book rights from somebody who went through that scandal so we can get all the juicy details. It always happens. Why? Well, because we love scandal. We love scandal a lot, and, and they know it's a good investment. They're going to get their money out of it because people are going to flock to know all the details. And so listen, I think there's something really profound in this, and I'm going to come back to this kind of reality time and time again. Uh, the truth, I, I, I should say this, the proof of the existence of God and our need for Jesus is well communicated within our inclination to create scandal and indulge ourselves with the details. It, it just is there, and here's why. Part of the reason that we love scandal in a good headline is that it gives us permission in some ways to justify our own selves and our fallings and our misdeeds. And we just love a good stand scandal because in it we find ourselves a lower standard in which we can compare ourselves to. And we just find ourselves justifying that, look, I know I got problems, yo. I got some weaknesses here, but at least I'm not that fool. At least I'm not that guy. I know I've got my mistakes, but it's nowhere near as bad as, as that guy. And so we are consistently engaging ourselves towards affirmation of our badness and our corruptness. Have you ever heard of this analogy called crabs in a bucket? Have you heard of the uh, crabs in a bucket analogy? It says this. I don't know if this is true, all right? I'm going on faith. Somebody can do this research for me later if you want to. But they say if you would put crabs in a bucket, eventually one of them is going to try to escape. They're going to try to crawl, crawl up the side of the bucket. And what happens is that the rest of the crabs notice and they pull the crab back down. They pull it back down. And so here's somebody trying to get above something, and then they are just pulled back into the fray. And this is habitual within our culture, that we are consistently looking to pull other things down so that we might justify ourselves. I think, you know, I think of Tim Tebow, uh, he, one of a, a, a godly person. He walks with as much integrity. For years, we just have felt this weight from the media, just trying, this guy's too good. And they just are waiting for this guy to fall. So again, we can say, look, nobody, nobody can do it. I'm okay, I'm okay. And so we are just in this habit of pulling people down so we can affirm ourselves. 
And this is a product of sin. It is. It's the product of a broken world. It's a product of broken hearts, fractured relationships with our God. There is something in us that wants us to bend towards sin and disobedience rather than righteousness. And it's deep within us. But instead of just owning that reality, we move towards justifying it. And this is because of sin. And this reality is clearly laid out within our scriptures. And so as we expand on Psalm 32, know that this occurs out of something that we find great satisfaction in, scandal. This comes out of scandal. We're going to get some scandal here today, and we get the book deal. We get the book deal because we have Psalm 32, which serves as David's confession after the event, and what David brings us in his confession is different than what the world would take us to. And so Psalm 32 would have been written somewhere in the neighborhood of 1034 B.C. 1034 B.C., and it comes out of what is David's most egregious moment in his life. David falls hard here, and it is sinful, and it is gut-wrenching. The real event can be found in 2 Samuel, in our book 2 Samuel. And the story is this. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, it says this in our word that, that David one day is on his roof. I don't know why David is on his roof. I've never gotten on my roof to look around, but he's the king. He's probably observing his kingdom. And it says that he notices from a distance a very pretty lady bathing named Bathsheba. Now, David has a choice to look away here, but he doesn't. David indulges himself, and then he sends a messenger to bring her back to his palace so he might lie with her. And I'm not talking about sleeping. This is not his wife. This is somebody else's wife. And regrettably, unfortunately, women in this time are treated more like property than they are people. And if you are a subject to a king, it is very difficult to refuse the king because refusing the king comes with great consequences. And so David is abusing his power greatly in this scenario. And Bathsheba comes to the palace. They lie with one another. She goes back. And uh, not too much later, the castle, the palace, I like to think it's a castle. They get a note that she's pregnant. Like Jerry Springer stuff here. Just like this is scandal. Scandal. And so David freaks out. And he sends note to the battle, to the war front, to send the husband of Bathsheba back, Uriah. He wants Uriah to come back in order that he might lay with her himself, and nobody would be wiser on who the father is. Like, just setting up a really good Maury Povich episode down the line here. But Uriah does not buy it. He is frustrated that he is called away from his men, away from battle, and he will not go to his wife's house. Instead, he sleeps at the doorway to the king's palace. And David tries to entice him. I'm going to bring you a gift. He says, a gift will follow you. And he says, no, I'm not doing this. I want back with my men. And so David obliges. Uriah goes back to the war front. And then David writes a letter to the captain of the army, Joab. And in the letter to Joab, he says, I want you to put Uriah where the fiercest and heaviest fighting is, and then I want you to pull your men back. 
in order that Uriah might be killed. And Joab obliges, and Uriah is killed. And soon after, David sends a messenger to Bathsheba's house, and he then takes her as his wife, one of his wives, and she bore to him a son, bore to him a son. And the Bible says at the end of these events that the Lord was displeased with all that David had done. Now that is scandal. You've got an affair, a pregnancy, cover-ups, deception, lies, and you've got murder. As far as scandal, it doesn't get much worse than that. And David thinks that he's covered all of this up. He thinks he's done all the things that he needs to do that no one would be wiser of what really happened in this scenario except for he forgot one thing. You can't hide things from God. You just can't hide things from the Lord. And we're going to see that here. He forgot that. And it's a problem for David. And so what happens to David in his secret is that God sends him a messenger. He sends David, the prophet Nathan, and Nathan comes and he tells David the story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has lots of sheep, many, many sheep on hills somewhere. The poor man has one. He's got one sheep, a, a little ewe lamb, and it says that he loved his sheep like it, his daughter. He loved the sheep. And there was a traveler that came to the rich man and he wanted him to throw, throw him a great banquet. And so he sent a servant out to get a sheep with these instructions. Don't take one of my sheep. I want you to go to that poor man, and I want you to take his ewe lamb so I can have this banquet. And so the servant goes and fetches this one lamb from this poor man to have a banquet. And David is irate. He wants justice against this rich man. He wants him dead, and he said that this poor man should be returned fourfold what was taken from him. And it was in that moment that Nathan the prophet said these words, you are that man. David, you are that man. You had everything at your fingertips. And if the Lord, if it wasn't enough for you, the Lord would have said, I would have added to it. But you took this one thing from this guy, from Uriah. And David in that instant knew it. And it says that he confessed his sin to the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't deflect anymore. He doesn't hide. He's caught. And he finally owns that he missed the mark. He confesses that he sinned against the Lord. Because look, all sin is ultimately sin against the Lord. There are ramifications for the people who are caught in its wake. But your sin is against God because it's his standard. Nobody else's. And then what happens next is some just really tough circumstances for David. God allows his house to become fractured in some ways. Some of his wives take other men. And the son that was born between him and Bathsheba is allowed to die. And that's hard, right? But God is with him even in that most difficult days. And God ultimately gives David and Bathsheba a son who would go on to be called Solomon, who would become the wisest man who has ever lived on this earth. And what is birthed out of this scandal, what is birthed out of this disaster is Psalm 32. This is a confession from a murderer. This is a confession from an adulterer, King David, to God. He's caught. 
And this psalm is spectacular. It's spectacular in wisdom, spectacular in understanding, and spectacular in application. And so before we get in this, I want you to get this. This psalm was not given to us so you could be reminded of a mark against David's character. It's not here for you to question David. God did not allow these events to happen in David's life so we could be reminded of a blemish against David's character. He didn't. God allowed these things to be written down and passed down through generation to generation that he might speak to you, that you might learn through tangible examples of the folly of our ancestors of a life that is not flourishing, but one that is faltered. And in general, God has given us his word, not so that we can, so we can use it as, as a guide to judge other people and other things. The word was given to us to expose our hearts, meaning this, there is nobody today that God is more concerned about talking to than you. There is nobody in this room or outside of this room that the Lord is more concerned about talking to today than you. And the main point of David's psalm here is right here in the beginning. David begins with, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, the man against, who against the Lord counts no iniquities, whose spirit there is no deceit in it. And the first few lines of this psalm answer this question. Who is truly blessed and happy? Who is truly blessed and happy? And it's only the forgiven. Only the forgiven. And the only way that David gets to that understanding is through some hard realities in your life. Has anybody walked through some hard realities in your life to get some understanding from the Lord? He uses this to wake him up. And then David goes on to speak of those days that he was in torment, the days that he were in sin. Uh, I picture him as the days between he learns about the pregnancy and the day that prophet Nathan comes. And this is what he says. He says, for when I kept silent, I said, silent, my bones wasted away. Though my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And where David, what David is saying, I should say, is that he was silent as to confession, but not as to sorrow. He said the Lord's hand was upon me. And I love that imagery because we know this. God could crush us with one finger. What might the weight of his entire hand feel like? David says that it sucked the life out of him. And the reality is, as many of you in this room have known that weight, that deep, internal pressing down on our souls. And there are still people in this room who are walking in that reality of God's hand pressing down on your soul because we are continuously trying to hide our sin, justify our sin, cover it up, and it just becomes a weight that sucks the life out of us. And listen, nobody knows this more than me. Nobody knows this more than me. For years, I carried around the weight of an addiction to pornography that I could not get a handle off, and I have no shame in exposing that because the Lord is with me in that. He has drawn me away from that. And that robbed the life out of me, and it robbed the life out of my marriage, and that weight came from a relentless God who would not allow me in my secret 
to walk in a way of destruction. Because listen, hidden sin is like an acid. An acid corrupts whatever vessel it is carried in. It just, it eats it. It eats it. This is not what the Lord would have for us. This is not what he would want for us. And sometimes God will make our lives miserable until we cough it up. And when I say cough it up, I mean confess. And not just to God, but to other people as well. We see this in David. David writes this psalm. He's not hiding anything. You're going to read about it today. When the prophet Nathan comes, he's exposed. He, he confirms it in front of the prophet Nathan. David exposes his heart to others. The brother of Jesus, James, he writes this in his letter in James 5. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is, has great power as it is working. And there are some of you in this room that hear all of this and hear this verse, and you think, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever tell somebody what's going on? Could you imagine what they would think of me? That's ridiculous. Are you serious? I am. But there are also you in this room who hear these things in that verse, and you're moved to fear, and your soul sweats a little bit. I know. I sat and felt that very thing from the Lord, that heaviness, and the thought of exposing it was unbelievable. I remember time and time and time again pleading with the Lord to take this away from me in private, in secret, confessing to the Lord that you would take this away from me. But publicly, I, I, I wanted nobody to know that. I was concerned about what people would think of me and if they would like me. Uh, so I was confessing it to the Lord, but I also wanted to control the narrative in which how people viewed me. And do you know why? Because I really didn't want to remove it. I didn't. I wasn't that serious about it. I wanted it gone, but not more than I wanted to be liked and thought well of. And so I continued to live in agony somewhere between a place of a sin that I couldn't control and the fear of it exposing a struggle that was eating me. I lived in that tension, in agony. I wasn't serious about it. It was tearing me apart. But the Lord said this, he's relentless. Gosh, he's relentless. Guys, and he just, and you who have been in there here and you know this, he just would not allow me to continue to walk in this way, and I had to get it out. He just relentless. And I had to confess that to God in front of my wife and in front of my friends, because that's what needed to happen in my life to show the Lord that I'm serious about this, so serious about this that I'm willing to risk my reputation and even risk my marriage, because I want you that much, Lord. I want you more than any of those things. And here's the most amazing thing. I have never had a moment in my life equal the freedom that I found to be fully known. How many stories have we heard in our lives of people who are stuck in addiction, who are trapped up in the things that they don't want to be a part of, saying these phrases? I'm glad somebody finally caught me. 
I'm glad that somebody find out. I can have relief. I was caught. I'm fully known. I don't have to hide this anymore. Because what our enemy wants to make us believe is that you hiding your sin, you justifying your sin is what's best for you. Wants to make us believe that. That nobody knowing your struggle is what's best for you, but you know it's not because it's tearing you apart. But you're too scared and too fearful to confess it. And so when we confess our sins, when we expose our hearts to God and to other people, God takes what is dark and he brings it out into the light. You say that, God, I'm serious about this. I'm not going to be half-hearted about this anymore. And you create an environment where the full power of God himself and his people get to join with you and fight this together. Because listen, for so long I did this, and I know that you did this. You thought you could overcome this. You convinced yourself that you were going to conquer this, but you know that you can't. And you've proven that you can't. There is freedom in saying, I can't. To the Lord. There is freedom that is found in that. David says, acknowledge your sin to the Lord. David did not cover it up anymore. He confessed it to God, and God forgave it. God forgave it. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have to deal with some of the ramifications and the consequences of that sin in his relationships and his realities. It simply means this, that God has forgiven him, and to David, that is all that he needed, and that is all that we need. That is all that we need. That is more than enough to find forgiveness in the Father, and he extends that invitation to us in Psalm 6. He says, you who are godly, offer a prayer to God at a time that you can be found. And that simply means this, while you still have a chance, while you are still alive, while salvation is yours to be granted. And listen, do you know what happens when you're forgiven? Do you know what happens when your secret is known to the Lord? The one that you feared the most becomes your strongest protector. The one that you feared the most in God, the condemnation in God, the one that you feared the most becomes your strongest protector. David says, surely the rushing waters will rise, but they will not reach me. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Doesn't mean that our sin has vanished and all the consequences to those sins have vanished. No, your guilt is removed. Sin always seems to have consequences. David had to deal with some really bad things in his life, absolutely. But God was with him in those difficult days. Thanks to the Lord that we get Jesus. Jesus who has completely forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. David doesn't walk in this same reality. The good news for you and I is that we have a loving God who sent us Christ, who imputes us, credits us to us, a righteousness that is not our own. His death, his resurrection mean to us that we are hidden in the perfection, in the righteousness of God. David calls that a blessed position. We forget this. You forget this. We forget this. We forget what God has done for us. We forget his sacrifice, and we trample on his grave because we would rather live in a life of sin than to walk fully into the arms of a God who wants to see us flourish and live lives, not of faltering, but of abundance. We forget this, and we spit on the grave of Christ on his resurrection because we would rather have our own way. 
And David speaks to us that God will be there to instruct us. He will bring us guidance. He will bring people into our lives that will help us walk out of these realities. And his love for us remains steadfast nonetheless, always. That you and I are to walk in the process of confession and forgiveness for the rest of our lives. We are to remain in the process of forgiveness for the rest of our lives, confessing to God our shortcomings, reminding ourselves of the forgiveness that Christ has to offer us, and gleefully journeying into his grace, into his mercy. This is the rhythm of our lives. This is where our flourishing is found. And we are to extend that same forgiveness and that same grace to all of those that we encountered along our way. Forgiveness and grace, truth, mercy, love, as we press on. And so as I was writing this sermon this week, as I was researching, as I was reading, I just felt the Lord really push on my heart to be very pointed in this area. That there are people in this room that are really struggling with this. That you know that you're hiding, you know that you're justifying, and you know it, but you're too stubborn to confess it because the enemy has you so convinced that it will be disaster. You fear man more than you fear God. And you are going about constantly pulling people and things down so that you can justify your own faults and your own sin and your own mistake. You have a sin that you can't control and you're eaten up by the guilt of a sin that you continue to hide. And so friend, I just say this, that listen, our standard isn't each other. Your standard is not the failings of the people in this world. Your standard is God. Your standard is his perfection. And whether you miss that by this much or you miss that woefully, you still miss the mark. There is no classification to the degree in which you miss God's righteousness. There's just not. We've all fallen short. And we can't justify ourselves because somebody else missed it more than we did or just as much. We're in the same boat. And so listen, if that is you today, I just feel like the Lord has a word for you. Stop running and stop hiding. Because listen, he is going to be relentless. Like, he just is he just pursues us that much. He loves us that much. He wants us to walk in freedom that much that he will pursue you. This is not what he has for you. This is not what he wants for you. Listen, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear. You can quit hiding. Quit thinking about what other people might think of you and be consumed with what God might have for you. And it's not to see you struggle. It's not to see you struggle and settle for lesser versions of, of the person that Christ has created you to be. That's not what the Lord has for us. There is freedom in confession that is profound to be fully known and fully delighted in by our Creator. Now, many of us aren't hiding some deep, dark, secret sin that's gut-wrenching. Gut We're not. Many of us just become complacent with things that fall short of where God would want us to be. We settle for those lesser versions of the person that Christ made us, and we're okay with that, because look, we're not that bad comparatively to those other people. But, but God's word that says that sin is a, is a poison, and it is not something to mess with, it's not something that we should play around with, 
because sin destroys. It begots sin. If we look at the story of David with Bathsheba, like David had every opportunity along the way to confess to some sins that we would say, well, those aren't that bad. Could have taken his eyes off Bathsheba. He could have looked the other way. Not my wife. He chose to indulge. And then we just see this building, right? And then it brings to one decision after the next decision. Sin is a poison. It begots sin, right? And before we know it, it takes us into places and realities that we never dreamed possible. Do you think David woke up one day and said, well, I want to murder a guy and commit adultery? No. But sin has a way to be like cancer to our soul. So even us who are missing the mark just by that much, we are to continue to confess that weakness to the Father, expose that in our lives, and just say, man, just have people in our lives to say, look, this is not who I want to be. This isn't who I believe that God wants me to be. Confess it and expose our hearts. Invite them in to our lives. So we have to remain in that process. But look, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm not equating perfection. But our aim should be. Our aim should be set on the perfection of Christ, that we should grow closer and closer to Christ in our lives. So look, here's the challenge today. I'm just going to lay it out. I have been praying this week that you in here would find opportunities to be honest, that we would just be people that would confess it. Look, you're, you're a sinner sometimes. That's not ground-shaking. And the enemy wants to convince you, well, I'm the only one that's dealing with this. No, that's not true. There are lots of people who are dealing with it. You have a scenario that you think is unique to you? That's a lie. There are, there are many people who are walking in your reality. But the enemy would choose for us to be silent. And so my challenge is for you to find somebody that you trust fully this week. Somebody that you love and you know that loves the Lord and speak to them. Expose what's on your heart to them. And if you don't have somebody that you trust, somebody that you love, the good news is, is we're here. We do. There are people in this church who love the Lord with immense passion, who would be willing to walk beside you. Do you think somebody's going to be shocked that you sinned? No. You're not going to tell us something that we've not heard before, despite what you may believe. And so that's just my challenge for us this week. It's something the Lord's placed on my heart, that, that we would stop feeling this weight that God puts on us because he's pursuing us and we would just let it go, that we wouldn't fear. David says, blessed are the ones whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose spirit there is no deceit. To be fully known and fully delighted in, there is no better position, friends. To look at yourself in the mirror and know that you are known, I cannot express to you the spiritual satisfaction in knowing that you are fully known and fully delighted in, to rest your head on the pillow at the end of the night and know that my skeletons are out, there is nothing that somebody's going to expose on me that I have to live in fear, and the Lord has dealt with those things. It is a great position to get to, and maybe it's time that we move there ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we thank you for your word. 
And we thank you for the weight that it can put on our lives and our souls and our hearts that you are relentless, Lord, in wanting us to live flourishing lives, lives that you've designed us to be a part of, and you won't let us settle for lesser images of what you created us to be. And so, God, I pray for strength today for us, that we would no longer live in that fear that other people might know, but, Lord, that we would seek your forgiveness, that we would expose our hearts and come to the understanding that you are not a God that condemns us, but you are a God that delights in us to our core, that we might experience ourselves moving from the fear of, of, of you to understanding you as our strongest protector in our times of struggle and need. And so, God, I pray for courage in the hearts of those who you need to put it in today. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son, and it's in his name, Jesus, that we pray all of these things. Amen.